Whether a date night or family holiday outing, Meadowlark's Winter Walk of Lights is the perfect way to experience the magic of the holidays. The half-mile walk through Vienna's enchanting Meadowlark Botanical Gardens features lighted nature themes and sparkling displays. Get your tickets now at winterwalkoflights.com. Extend your holiday season and beat the rush with a weeknight visit in November or early December. Plan your visit and buy tickets at winterwalkoflights.com. That's winterwalkoflights.com. Hello, Little Woman fans. Today's comment shout-out goes to Just an Adventurous Fan, who says the following. Laurie is always a boy to Joe, and when she speaks about Nat or Teddy as daughters, you really can see how she was never going to find Laurie attractive. Joe in the book never finds Laurie attractive. Friedrich is her sexual awakening. There are quite a few scenes in Little Man and Joe's Boys where Joe refers Nat and Laurie as girly or daughters. I'm surprised that not that many people discuss about this. I think it's really fascinating. Even when Laurie is in his 40s, Charlie speaks about him in a very maternal tone, which doesn't happen between Joe and Friedrich. And Joe kind of sees Laurie as a personal success story, because he was the first boy that she adopted, and that inspired Joe to start a school for boys. One of the things that a lot of people don't seem to understand about Louisa is that she was a very maternal person and she also loved the energy of young boys and very masculine men. Louisa was a paradox, but do these qualities need to be exclusive? This episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible has a wide range of ebooks to read and audiobooks to listen. If you have not yet read Little Woman, this is your chance. As a new member, you can get 30 days free trial by clicking the affiliate link in the description. Some of you may know that I didn't read Little Woman Part 2 or Good Wives until I was a teenager, but I did read Little Woman Part 1 as a child. I still have my old copy, which is a Finnish translation from 1940s. Here in Finland and in most European countries, and I believe in many South American countries as well, Little Woman used to be published as two separate books. When in the US it has been published as one book. In the first part of Little Woman, Joe is 15, and then part two, it starts four years after the events of the first part, and part two actually covers roughly 20 years of Joe's life. I didn't really pay any attention to the adaptive attractiveness until I read the original English Little Woman that had not been whitewashed by a loose publisher. In the original text, Larry. He has darker skin complex, nose, and there are lots of references to his Italian heritage. When I started to do more deeper research on Laurie's character, I reread my Finnish versions, which were based on this quote-unquote newer versions where Laurie's character was being romanticized. Many of these elements that made him more Italian were erased. And it's funny because I was looking at my copy of Good Wives. It has this cover illustration of... Amy and Laurie. Laurie's actually a blonde and he be an actor in a Finnish film from the 50s. However, I do not blame the illustrator because obviously that text was based on this rewriting of Little Woman. In the original text, same happens with Friedrich's character. Louisa makes constant references of him being German and how Joe loves that he's German which is actually quite enduring. I'm sure you can now find lots of different versions of this uncut original book which is great. And the book that I have is a Penguin Classic Little Woman based on the original book from 1867. And that is the version that I have used as a reference on this podcast. 
every time when I have quoted something from a little woman. This is Small Umbrella in the Rain, Little Woman Podcast, Larry and Adaptive Attractiveness. Theodore Larry Lawrence is one of the most complicated characters in Little Woman, and his cultural and cinematic history is also complicated. More than often the Hollywood adaptations of the book changes our perspective of the characters. In the original book that was published in 1868, Laurie is both foreign and androgynous. Laurie has brown skin, curly black hair, long nose, nice teeth, little hands and feet. He is the same size as Joe, making him equal to her. When he asks Joe to dance, he makes a little French bow. For the 1880 edition of Little Woman, Lewis's publisher demanded her to make changes for the books. Little Woman was a huge hit and publishers want to make money. Now all Laurie's foreign features were removed because they were not suitable for a romantic suitor. He became more handsome, no mention of the color of his skin and he's taller than Joe, making him superior to her. The problem with these changes was that Louisa May Alcott herself never meant Laurie to be a romantic suitor for Joe. Quoting her own words when she created Laurie, she gave her alter ego a brother that she never had. It is the 1880 version with more quote-unquote masculine and romanticized Laurie that is familiar to most people. This description of him remained in the books nearly 100 years. When I read Little Woman as a child, my Finnish version did not have any mention of Laurie being androgynous, neither there was any mention about his skin color. The translation I read had been made in the 1920s. Last Finnish translation of Little Woman appeared in 2012, and that is where the Finnish readers got to read the original description of Laurie for the first time. Little Woman has been translated into more than 50 languages. Many translations, especially the older ones, are abridged. Another very important part of Laurie is that he has androgynous looks. In the famous and beloved 1933 film version of Little Woman, Douglas Montgomery plays Laurie. And he has very androgynous looks. He has quite feminine and soft features. Catherine Hepburn's Joe is close to the book Joe. She is tall, with androgynous looks and sharp features, and a strong way to carry herself. Little Woman is a semi-biographical novel, and Joe's character is loosely based on Louisa herself, and Louisa was a tomboy and not traditionally feminine. When it comes to Little Woman adaptations, they are model examples of adaptive attractiveness. Adaptive attractiveness refers to the way Hollywood changes the appearance of a book character who in the story is described from anything from old to ugly from androgynous to plain looking is played by an attractive actor in a film version. As we learned, the adaptive attractiveness of Laurie already started in the 19th century. In films and TV adaptations, Joe, Laurie and Friedrich all go through adaptive attractiveness. This does not mean that beautiful actors cannot play these characters or that we should stop watching these movies. The reason for this is the same as Louis's publisher changing Laurie's looks to make money. Studios invest a great deal of money to the films and the best way to make profit and get viewers is to hire attractive actors. However, there are lots of problems 
with adaptive attractiveness in Little Woman. Louis's original description of the three characters, Joe, Laurie and Frederick, is a big part of the narrative. Adaptive attractiveness is deeply rooted idea in our culture, starting from fairy tales, which follow the Hollywood narrative that love only belongs to the young and attractive. Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA. Get a quote today. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When the woman appeared, it became a massive hit and it made Louisa May Alcott a billionaire. When young girls came to visit Louisa, they often left disappointed because they were expecting to see young and beautiful Joe March. Instead, they saw Louisa, who was rather plain-looking. Sometimes she even opened the door dressed up as a maid, and she said to the young fans of Joe March that Miss Alcott was not at home, an effective way to get rid of fans. Joe is not written to be beautiful, so why did these fans thought that Louisa or Joe was beautiful? I have no idea. Here is a quote from Jimena. The importance of a dark-skinned lorry, a matter of representation. Louisa describes Laurie as curly black hair, brown skin, big black eyes, handsome nose, fine teeth, small hands and feet, taller than Joe. Yet in all adaptations except the 80s anime, Laurie has been represented as a white character. It doesn't surprise me that up until the 70s that was the case. However, the 2017 miniseries, 2018 modern adaptation and the 2019 movie Make the same mistake. They whitewashed Laurie. I am conflicted in using the word mistake, because that implies that they honestly didn't know. But since they swear they love the book, then it seems more of a conscious decision. To me, it is very worrying that almost no one discussed this in the media during the 2019 press tour. But a brown-skinned Laurie is not just about sticking to Lucy's description of the character. It goes much deeper. It's a matter of representation. One problem that period drama set in Europe or in the United States has is that there is little diversity, which makes sense because they were slaving black people and discriminating everyone who wasn't white and Christian. If today a show wants to add more variety into their cast, they normally have to raise bad characters or create a fantasy world like Bridgeton. That or people of color get to play the servants or the poor people or the foreigners who appear in the background. Yet, here we have an 1868 book set the Civil War that features a brown-skinned character. And it's not just a side character. He is prominent, he is part of the main characters. He has an arc as important as the main white family. The fact that Larry is brown-skinned plays into his identity issues. Just because the note was against slavery doesn't mean that they weren't deeply racist. As a matter of fact, Bronson Algot got into a lot of trouble for offering education to white and black children in the same classroom. 
for all the praise that Greta Gerwig's movie got, I am surprised very few people called her for including only a couple of black characters. There was one lady who barely had a line and another one at Meg's wedding who is there just for background. That's tokenism. Even the modern adaptation from 2018, which should have no problem getting a diverse cast, chooses to cast Lucas Grabeel. Then there is the matter of his Italian heritage. A couple of times, Laurie thinks about his Italian heritage, and not in a good light. Actually, his mother must have been the one who passes him his skin color. When he was in Barrosa with Amy, he thinks his Italian side brings out the superstition aspect of him. Italians have always had a negative stereotype in Western Europe and the United States. I don't know how difficult must have been for Laurie to hear all these negative comments that attack his mother. This will also serve the discussion of immigrants in the 19th century America, alongside with Friedrich's case. Moreover, Italy is also a prominent Catholic country. A few articles I read say that Protestant America rejected Catholicism, even to the point of forbidding it. Let's remember Aunt March's French Catholic maid, who changed her name from Estelle to Esther, so that it would sound more American. This under the condition that the old lady wouldn't ask her to change religions. Even with all these issues, he is in a position of power. He is the heir to one of Concord's biggest fortunes. He gets to go to college. He is destined to run one of the greatest companies in Massachusetts. Amy even teased him because Fred was richer than him, like it was something that didn't happen very often. So his wealth must have been pretty big. Returning the March family, it will also serve to prove their actions how anti-racism they were, not just anti-slavery. They included this boy as part of their family almost instantly. He becomes Joe's best friend and Amy's husband. It is in the book that a lot of mothers look at him as an attractive suitor for their daughters, but I'm sure some other inhabitants look down at him for being Italian and brown-skinned. So my point is, representation matters. Imagine how much this would mean for brown-skinned boys, mixed-race boys and parents of those kids to see this character properly cast. I am curious how many people knew that Laurie is supposed to be brown-skinned. Laurie in the books is a complex character with both good and bad qualities. He is an orphan living together with his distant grandfather. Laurie was an aspiring pianist he had no problems becoming best friends with four girls next door. He put snow to Meg's ankle, saved Amy from drowning, and was Joe's BFF. That is what we usually see in the movies, but in the books, Laurie is much more complicated character. Louisa was ahead of her time. She refused to impose any gender stereotypes to any of her characters. In the 19th century context, Laurie and his love for music can be seen as a more effeminate trait. Even the way he's lonely in the Bigot Mansion follows the narrative of the 19th century, where young women were domesticated and shut down from the social life. In one of my favorite chapters in Little Woman, Camp Lawrence, Laurie is compared to a cult, a gun that can go off at any given minute. Cult also refers to an untamed horse. In the beginning of Little Woman, Joe is also referred to a cult. In many ways, the 1933 film is loyal to the books, 
but it shows the characters through 1930s lens. And this happens with every single Little Woman adaptation. They are always bound to their time. Both Joe and Laurie lack their aggressive outburst they have in the books. Douglas Montgomery's Laurie and Peter Lawford's Laurie from 1949 both have bit of a temper, which is what you can see in the proposal scene. But in all adaptations after that, Laurie's temper is completely missing. In the 1949 version, Laurie, played by Peter Lawford, is one of the most idealized Laurie's. He has run away from the school, lied his age, get into the army, where he got wounded. We cannot see any wounds. He is also extremely kind and charming. Film does not either show Laurie's and Amy's time in Europe together. Little Woman fan Dana Para has criticized Laurie's casting choices. I think another issue I have with Gerwig's film, and really any film with fans that do this, is how the cast are put upon these pedestals. There are fans of the fandom, and there are fans of the actors and the director, and I feel that Gerwig film suffers from fans that just love either her and her work or the cast, and know little about the original story. And I feel Laurie is a prime example of having fans that love his actor, and not the original character. Timothy Chalamet is a popular up-and-coming actor. I haven't seen him in much, so I couldn't tell you how good of an actor he is, but I know he has a fan base, and I know that fan base saw Little Woman for him, not just because they wanted to see the movie, and we all do that with our favorite actors. When Joe refuses Laurie, because of this fan base, you have to wonder, are they mad Joe didn't end up with Laurie, or are they mad that Joe refused Timothy Chalamet? Because that is a huge difference. And those are the fans that don't care about the original story. They are just mad that their favorite didn't get what he wanted. You could say the same with Peter Lawford too, and Christian Bale. Because you know the studios are going to try and put some heartthrob into the role of Laurie to appeal to the love story. Or to make the movie into more of a love story than a coming of age movie. Here's a quote from Blogger, that vermilion flycatcher. Why Joe and Laurie don't end up together, or why our expectations of tropes set us up for disappointment. We are used to seeing literature for women as romances or epic fantasy. Not that there is anything wrong with any of those genres. But this perspective sets us up, expect and assume some things. For example, we expect the main couple in the novel to be introduced to us in the first few chapters. Usually via some kind of meet-cute or meet-ugly. But Little Woman isn't a romance novel. It features love and marriage, but the romance is not the core of the story. We read Chapter 3, where Joe and Laurie meet, and we read it as a meet-cute. It never crosses our mind to expect a meet-ugly between Laurie and Meg. For example, because Meg is not the protagonist, and Joe thinks of an arrangement between Meg and Laurie. Little Woman is a strange story if you think it as a romance, because the protagonist marries a character that appears well into book two, but this is not a problem because it is not a romance. Alternative reading is the adventure quest. The heroine is different, has a new worldview, and engages in a quest to change her world, but Jo isn't a heroine in this way. If there are two defining characteristics of Jo's character, those are her anger and her fear of change. She doesn't want Meg to marry Mr. Brooke, not because she thinks that marriage is a constricting future for Meg, because it would mean change in her family. Meg would no longer live with them, the family dynamics would be totally different, 
and the mere idea terrifies Joe. Joe's quest doesn't fail because there was no quest. Little Woman isn't an adventure novel either. It is, as many people like to point out, but frequently seem to overlook consequences of a semi-biographical novel. It is the life story of four sisters, a slice of life with everything it brings, love and romance, and some adventures, yes, but the simplicity of everyday life, pain, lost, friendship, family, work, talent, and virtues. In this episode I will be talking a great deal about men and women, masculine and feminine, male and female. So much that some of you might wonder what are my thoughts about gender in general. Gender is a spectrum, and a fluid spectrum for that. Some people fit to one point at the scale and that is fine. Some people are more fluid and that is fine as well. When I use the word men, that refers to one particular demographic and they are not people with male parts, beards or beer bellies, but simply people who identify as men. Same with women, not just people with breasts and ability to give birth, but people who identify as women. Femininity, on the other hand, is a set of attributes, behaviors and roles generally associated with girls and women. Femininity is made up of both socially defined and biologically created factors. Definition of masculinity is similar. Set of attributes, behaviors and roles generally associated with boys and men. Masculinity as well is made up of both socially defined and biologically created factors. Both males and females can exhibit both masculine and feminine traits. In Little Woman especially, Lusa May Alcott explored the masculinity and femininity through social and cultural factors of her time, and it is a very common theme in all of her works. Louisa May Alcott was born in 29th of November in 1831. Her mother Abigail was one of the first social workers in the US. Her father Bronson was a religious reformer, educator and one of the leading figures in New England's transcendentalist movement. Louisa had three sisters, Anna, Lizzie and May. From a very young age, Louisa was introduced to the intellectual circles of the time, likes of Margaret Fuller, Henry David Thoreau, Nathaniel Hawthorne and Ralph Waldo Emerson. Many Louisa's family members and friends were abolitionists, suffragettes and women's rights activists. Louisa's father was a controversial figure already during his lifetime, but some of his more respectable aspects was that he wanted his daughters to have a proper education. Marriage between Abba and Bronson was a stormy and argumentative. Often Bronson would refuse to look for work and put his highly spiritual ideas before his own family. Louisa's childhood was way less idyllic than Joe's. From very early on, she started to support her family with her writings. In the 19th century context, the role of the provider was seen more masculine. There were times when Alcott lived in extreme poverty. Louisa's love and dedication for her mother Ada was fierce and protective. Same way as the Marches, the Alcotts went through hard time together and both Joe and Louisa were protective over their families. In the 19th century, puberty began much later on than it does nowadays. Part of Louisa's youth was also time spent in fruitlands. A spiritual community based on transcendentalist ideas started by Alcott and John Slane. Some of the rules in fruitlands was to follow a strict vegetarian diet. Also coffee, tea, milk, alcoholic drinks and warm bath water were banned. 
Many alt schoolers believe that the low nutrition might have also affected Tilu's hormonal balance. As much as we idolized Joe, she was drowning into internalized misogyny. Joe and Laurie were brothers. They planned to run away together. They had good time making pranks and they made fun of the feminine ladies who Laurie used to flirt with in college. One of the best examples of the internalized misogyny is chapter 21, Laurie makes mischief and Joe makes peace. In this chapter, Laurie pretends to be his tutor, John Brooke, and he sends letters to Meg in his name, who he knows Brooke has feelings for, followed by a quote. She was quite right, for the mischief-loving lad no sooner suspected a mystery than he set himself to find it out and led Joe a trying life of it. He wheeled, bridled, ridiculed, threatened and scolded, affected indifference, that he might surprise the truth from her, declared he knew, then that he didn't care, and at last, by dint of perseverance, he satisfied himself that it concerned Meg and Mr. Brooke. Feeling indignant that he was not taken into his tutor's confidence, he set his wits to work to devise some retaliation for the slight. Joe's reaction throughout the chapter, however, has annoyed plenty of contemporary readers, and so have Laurie's actions. Joe's first reaction is to beat up Laurie and to defend Meg's honor. Oh, the little villain! That's the way he meant to pay me, for keeping my word to mother. I'll give him a hearty scolding and bring him over to beg pardon, cried Joe, burning to execute immediate justice. But her mother held her back, saying, with a look, she seldom wore. Seeing Meg's usually gentle temper was roused and her pride hurt by this mischievous joke, Mrs. Mark suited her by promises of entire silence and great discretion for the future. The instant Laurie's step was heard in the hall, Meg fled into the study, and Mrs. March received the culprit alone. Joe had not told him why he was wanted, fearing he wouldn't come, but he knew the minute he saw Mrs. March's face, and stood twirling his hat with a guilty air which convicted him at once. Joe was dismissed, but chose to march up and down the hall like a little sentinel, having some fear that the prisoner might bolt. The sound of voices in the parlor rose and fell for half an hour, but what happened during that interview the girls never knew. When they were called in, Laurie was standing by their mother with, with such a penitent face that Joe forgave him from the spot, but did not think it wise to betray the fact. Meg received his humble apology and was much comforted by the assurance that Brooke knew nothing of the joke. Joe stood aloof, meanwhile trying to harden her heart against him, and succeeding only priming up her face into an expression of entire disapprobation. Laurie looked at her once or twice, but as she showed no sign of relenting, he felt injured, and turned his back on her till the others were done with him, when he made her a low bow and walked off without a word. As soon as he had gone, she wished she had been more forgiving, and when Meg and her mother went upstairs, she felt lonely and longed for Teddy. After resisting for some time, she yielded to the impulse and armed with a book to return, went over to the big house. When Laurie is scolded by Marmy, Joe quickly forgives him, and sees the whole thing only as a harmless prank. She has difficulties to understand how much Laurie's mischief actually hurt her sister. This is what Meg says. If John doesn't know anything about this nonsense, don't tell him, and make Joe and Laurie hold their tongues. I won't be deceived and plagued, and made a fool of. It's a shame. Meg is in an age 
If this prank would have turned into a rumor, it would have severely hurt Meg's reputation. Meg's response is very mature. Considering the time, there is very little that Meg can do when something like this happens. Back at the Lawrence's, Larry is lectured by his grandfather. No, he would have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I'd have told my part of the scrape, if I could, without bringing Meg in. As I couldn't, I hold my tongue and bore the scolding till the old gentleman collared me. Then I bolted, for fear I should forget myself. It wasn't nice, but he's sorry. I know. So go down and make up. I'll help you. Hanged if I do. I'm not going to be lectured and pummeled by everyone just for a bit of a fright. I was sorry about Meg and beg pardon like a man, but I won't do it again when I wasn't in the wrong. He didn't know that. He ought to trust me and not to act as if I was a baby. It's no use, Joe. He's got to learn that I'm able to take care of myself and don't need anyone's apron string to hold on by. Joe works as a mediator between Laurie and older Mr. Lawrence. After being forced to apologize to Meg, Laurie is now expecting his grandfather apologizing him for lecturing without no reason. He refuses to see any faults in his own actions. Next moment he is asking Joe to go to Washington to see Mr. Brooke, and Joe is tempted to go, but she is mature enough to see that such trip is Laurie only trying to escape facing his grandfather. There is, of course, an actual reason Laurie's and his grandfather's relationship is difficult, and why he is constantly looking for attention, but that does not adjust his actions. Mr. Lawrence's ruddy face changed suddenly and he sat down with a troubled glance at the picture of a handsome man which hung over his table. It was Laurie's father who had run away in his youth and married against the imperious old man's will. Joe fancied her remembered and regretted the past and wished she had held her tongue. One thing I have noticed while doing gender studies on little women and talking to fans across the world is that this chapter is more than often ignored and focus isn't on the prank but in Joe's and Laurie's conversation. Why didn't Joe just agree to go with Laurie to Washington and have fun? Nothing bad happened as long as Joe is happy. One fan I chatted with said, why care since no one was hurt? What about Meg? For many, Meg seems to be a less valid person in the story than Joe is, and Joe forgives Laurie, so aren't obliged to forgive Laurie as well? In her analysis of this very same chapter, Jan Alborgini brings out many of the similar themes I have presented here. No matter how much time Laurie spends with Joe, her sisters, or mommy, Laurie lives in a man's world, and so do the women, whether grown or little. Joe's reaction can feel almost as violating as Laurie's actions, because Joe is the protagonist and even though she is participating to cover up Laurie's behavior, she does not question it, unlike Mommy and Meg do. The idealization of both Joe and Laurie is so deeply rooted in our culture, this chapter has never been adapted in the movies. It would be important to include it. Chapter captures Pochos and Laurie's fast mood changes and their parallel tempers. We also see that Meg is a very strong person, and in this case a lot more feminist than Joe, whose growth process is only beginning. Only adaptation where Laurie makes mid-chief has been included is the obscure BBC series from the 1970s. One can definitely tell that the series comes from the 70s. Mommy's first reaction when she sees the letters is to laugh, which is very off-character. We don't see Laurie being scolded neither by mommy or his grandfather. Like in the book, Joe does forgive him. 
when he mopes how difficult life he is living with his grandfather. Neck is portrayed as someone who is overly emotional and overreacting. In this version, John knows what is going on and he sees it as a harmless prank. Once again, very off character. This is a quote from Joe's Trauma March. At the risk of alienating my fellow Louisa May Alcott enthusiasts and schoolers, one of my students has urged me to be thoughtful about the following. Would Theodore Laurie Lawrence be lauded for his actions and behavior by modern standards? Or would he be censored? I am always hesitant to evaluate the actions of a literary character written over a century ago through the lens of the present, but I do feel it is a question that merits discussion. I am deeply respectful of Louisa May Alcott, her exceptional work and her remarkable life, but the quote, boys will be boys, latitude that Laurie's character is given strikes me as odious at several moments throughout Little Woman. Jo does have internalized misogyny. She wants to be a man and identifies more with men, at least in the beginning of the novel, and then slowly begins to find a balance between the masculine and the feminine. Other than her mother and her sisters, she doesn't seem to identify or enjoy the company of other women. At the end of the novel, when Friedrich comes courting, the narrator says that Jo forgot to compare him to Laurie, who had been her model of masculinity. When she gets into the relationship with Friedrich, she begins to treat other women with more respect, because he does. Same happens with Laurie in his relationship with Amy. He becomes a lot more considering towards people around him. And he even apologizes to Joe in the end of the novel about the way he behaved towards her. But that's never in the films. Because Laurie's character arc has never been adapted. When Joe and Laurie grow up, he takes a role that is almost overly masculine. He kind of low-key tries to encourage her to flirt with him, and then he threatens to kill himself if Joe does not marry him. This breaks Joe's ideas of masculinity the way she knew it. In the book, Joe travels to New York because she gets anxiety to be alone with Laurie. Nothing sweet or romantic about that. She even says to Marmy that she needs to leave because she doesn't like him that way. And then in New York, she opens her heart to Friedrich, and Laurie proposes after Joe has returned. In the movies, he proposes before she goes to New York, so you will never get the real reasons why Joe rejected him. She was in love with Friedrich. When Louisa wrote Little Woman, there was discrimination against both German and Italian immigrants. Laurie first becomes friends with the Marches, who represent Louisa's own transcendentalist philosophy of the transnational family. But because Laurie comes from a wealthy family, he doesn't face similar level of discrimination as Friedrich's character does. There has been lots of criticism towards the recent Little Woman adaptations because they do not include the immigration themes, and in some cases they even make fun of them. Throughout the whole promotional tour of the 2019 film, Greta Gravik complained about Friedrich being German and speaking with a German accent. Louisa May Alcott adored everything that came from Germany and even studied German herself. This is another quote from that Vermilion flycatcher. Why Laurie's physical features matter? How the film and TV adaptations of Little Woman consistently ignore the fact that Laurie is described as a tall and dark brown skin with black eyes and black curly hair. It isn't just about representation, though it is important, but about who Laurie is as a character why he is the way he is, and how his relationship with his grandfather is the way it is. 
Larry's physical appearance tells us that he is half Italian and that he looks Italian, and Louisa May Alcott makes a point of emphasizing that. This is what Joe says in Little Woman. How I wish I was going to college. You don't look as if you like it. I hate it. Nothing but grinding or skylarking. And I don't like the way fellows do either in this country. What do you like? To live in Italy and to enjoy myself in my own way. That's why he has such handsome black eyes and pretty manners, I suppose. Italians are always so nice, said Meg, who was a little sentimental. He looked like an Italian, was dressed like an Englishman, and had the independent air of an American. For in the Italian part of his nature, there was a touch of superstition. The pale roses Amy gave him were the sort that the Italians lay in their dead hands, never in bridal reds and for a moment he wondered if the omen was for Joe or for himself. She watched him for a moment with artistic pleasure, thinking how like an Italian he looked, as he lay basking in the sun with uncovered head and eyes full of sudden dreaminess, for he seemed to have forgotten her and fallen into a reverie. An explanation as to why this is so important can be found in Marmy's explanation. Mother... Why didn't Mr. Lawrence like to have Laurie play? asked Joe, who was of an inquiring disposition. I am not sure, but I think it was because his son, Laurie's father, married an Italian lady, a musician, which displeased the old man, who is very proud. The lady was good and lovely and accomplished, but he did not like her, and never saw his son after he married. They both died when Laurie was a little child, and then his grandfather took him home. I fancy the boy who was born in Italy is not very strong and the old man is afraid of losing him, which makes him so careful. Larry comes naturally by his love of music, for he is like his mother, and I dare say his grandfather fears that he may want to be a musician. At any rate, his skill reminds him of the woman he did not like, and so he clavered, as Joe said. Larry is an orphan who lost his parents at an early age. Mr. Lawrence, who had cut ties with his son, learns that his son has died before they could get reconciled, and that he had a grandchild he had to take care of from then onwards. As he doesn't know what to do, he keeps Laurie in Europe, attending school there. Laurie was practically an institutionalized child. Mr. Lawrence finally hires a tutor for Laurie and brings him to live with him. By the start of the novel, they have really known each other for a very short time. Laurie wants to go back to Europe to treat his roots, to be the place to which he, by temper and looks, feels like he belongs to. Laurie's appearance is a constant reminder that he doesn't quite fit in Concord's society, and this only changes when the marches make him one of their own. That's why he has a mother-son relationship with Mommy. That's one of the reasons why he is so dejected when Joe refuses him. That's why he is so lousy at college. Mr. Lawrence, on his side, is terrified of losing Laurie, the same way he lost both his children, both musically inclined, as was Laurie's mother, of whom Laurie bears the resemblance, and one can suppose his wife. At a young age, it is no wonder that he doesn't want Laurie to play or dedicate himself to music. It is only his story arc with Beth that helps him to recover from his aversion to music. And it is under this light how important for him as a character is his offer to Laurie 
after the fair proposal to go to Europe with him, try his art, and enjoy himself. Mr. Lawrence wants to be there for his grandson and correct somehow what he didn't do for his son. Larry isn't just a standard boy next door. He's a character in his own right that cannot be understood properly unless his background is taken into account because it significantly shapes his temper and the way he relates to other characters in the novels. That's why it is important for him to be played by an actor who has dark skin, black eyes and curly black hair. To give you some context, Louisa also emphasizes Friedrich being German. Being a German, he loved these simple domestic festivals and encouraged them with all his heart. For they made home so pleasant that the boys did not care to go elsewhere for fun. When Friedrich's nephew Emil returns from the sea voyage, he, quote, kissed all the women and shook hands with all the men except his uncle, whom he embraced in the good old German style. Standing next to his father at the head of the table, folded his hands reverently, bent his curly head, softly repeated a short grace in the devout German fashion, which Mr. Bear loved and taught his little son to honor. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make good choices. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.